What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope you're wearing maroon today and celebrating your fandom of the greatest university in the state of Mississippi. That's Mississippi State University. On Fridays, we wear maroon. I like that we do that. I wish we did it more, not just during football season, but all year round, because we are Bulldogs 247-365. Hope you guys are doing well. It's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, big SEC baseball weekend. And if you don't know, by the time you listen to the show, you may already be on your way here. Ball game has been moved up twice. We're going to play first pitch at 4 o'clock today. Originally scheduled for 6. Last night they moved it to 5. This morning, elected to move it to 4. Trying to get ahead of some, uh, some bad weather. Could be some tornadic activity in its neck of the woods. So we're going to try to get a ball game played in advance of that. Could be some windy conditions today. For all of you that are maybe just coming up for the game and going back, let me encourage you maybe considering staying here overnight. Okay? I'm just, we want you here, but we want you safe. We want you to come to Duty Noble Field today, but also next week and next year and the next decade. We don't want you to put yourself at risk. So consider staying the night. If you're like me, I'm thinking, I can handle anything. And uh, that, that will probably be that leads to my demise, right? I mean, I'll probably bite off more than I can chew one day on a road trip. But ball game today, 4 o'clock, first pitch. Uh, Gerangelo Santji will be your starter today. And, uh, yeah, I thought he pitched well last weekend, you know, with the exception of the first inning. And, again, the first time in, in his life that he's pitching a ball game at a temperature under 70 degrees. But he, he did really well after the first inning. So I feel like if we can get through that first inning – Kind of get the uh, you know the butterflies kind of under control. Then we've got a chance. You know, we got to go out there and hit the baseball. And as I've shared with you guys on the show many times, and, and you know, hey, I was a baseball player. I wasn't a great baseball player. I was probably a better coach and a better little league dad than I was a baseball player. But I love the game. But here's the thing that I've learned from watching, observing, covering, and coaching baseball in my lifetime. When you don't get good starting pitching, you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. I don't care how good you are offensively. I don't care how good you are defensively. When you don't have good starting pitching, your chances of winning are next to none. You get a quality start. 
Defense plays well behind you. That's generally how it works. And games are competitive. And that's what happens with us. When we lose, oh, my gosh, it's a blowout. Last Friday was really the only close loss we've had all year. I guess you can go back to that VMI game where we absolutely imploded in the bullpen. But you understand my point. When we shoot ourselves in the foot, we keep reloading the gun. But if we go out there and get a good start, that allows you to maintain your game plan offensively. You can be patient. You can run pitch counts up. You don't try to do too much. When you don't have good pitching, all of a sudden you think, man, we got, we got to get this thing going. You got to do this. You know, we got to go up there and swing for defenses. And so everything hinges on starting pitching. It simply does. And hopefully with Aaron Nixon coming back, and listen, I get it. He had some issues on Tuesday. He's just rusty. He's fine. I got the talented guy, man. He'll be fine. We haven't announced a, Sunday, a starter for Sunday, and I think some of that relates to uh, what are we going to do with Nate Dome. I just wonder if we can afford to wait till Sunday. Because you know as well as I do, if we, get, if we have a lead late in this ballgame, you got to throw Nate. You do. Even though Aaron Nixon's a talented guy, you know, he's not in midseason form. you got to throw Nate, which probably exhausts him for Sunday. But one thing I think we're pretty, uh, pretty confident here is that, uh, you know, we're open to other options. You know, Graham uh, Einzema, or Enzema, I, I apologize to the family if I'm saying it incorrectly. Um, you know, he didn't have a good start. And you can't continue to reward bad performance with opportunities, right? I mean, you got to prove in practice. And listen, we're going to need Graham at some point, whether it's matching up against left-handers or doing middle relief or starting a midweek game. We're going to need that guy to pitch well for us. So I'm not ready to just, you know – move on from him but I think it's obvious he didn't do enough last weekend to earn another start this weekend I think that's positive not that we got the bad outing but is it hey we're going to continue to promote the spirit of competition you go out there and you don't perform somebody else has to so we'll see what happens on uh, Sunday but we need to find a way to win a ball game uh, tonight and a lot of people well Steve can we just get one that's not that's a loser's mentality we're not going to this thing hoping to get one this is a home baseball series and we're already kind of behind the eight ball and yes five teams got swept last weekend in the southeastern conference and a bit of an anomaly you'll notice all five teams that got swept last weekend all went north and played in colder weather is it coincidence I think not that's not to say that it masks any of the deficiencies we've had as a baseball team But to go up there and play in that miserable weather, when guys are a little more acclimated to it, your opponents are used to practicing in that, living in it, walking to class in it, taking BP in it, they're going to be a little better equipped to deal with it. But all five teams that traveled north lost. You can check it out for yourself. It's true. All right, so so we'll see what happens now as we kind of move forward with this. But um, we got to go out there. Our, Our plan is to go sweep the series. That's the plan. Whether we can execute that plan remains to be seen. Uh, and we're going to talk about Vanderbilt uh, in the next segment of the show. But I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to just say, oh, we're going to get killed this weekend. I, I, just, I, don't, I don't feel that way. I don't believe that. Now, I think it'll be a competitive series, but I think the bottom line is this is not Mississippi State playing Vanderbilt. This is Mississippi State playing Mississippi State. And maybe the ghosts of Maroon sometimes cast a big shadow across that big diamond out there, that patch of grass that we all love and consider sacred. It takes a special individual to wear the M over S and go out there and perform at a high level. It does. And that, to me, goes back to the evaluation piece. you got to find players that have the mental fortitude 
and the emotional makeup to be able to handle the expectations of this program. Because you guys know you're part of it. When things don't go our way, we get really, really, really vocal. And sometimes too vocal. I've told you guys before, I'm not a proponent of attacking players on social media. I don't think attacking coaches on social media is a good thing. It's one thing to air your frustration. It is. That's not something that's unique to Mississippi State. But when we start going after players, absolutely against it. Absolutely against it. And I've seen some of it too. What do you think that profits us? I mean, you're not holding anybody accountable. You're not their coach. All you're doing is making us look bad. No worse than a team made us look last weekend. Don't get me wrong, right? I mean, the, 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 the bigger sin is getting swept in Kentucky. And again, I think, I, th- I think Kentucky's going to take that series this weekend against Alabama. I'm telling you. I, I'm going to look back at this because I said it in the preseason that Kentucky is better than people are giving them credit for. They are. And I think they're going to prove me right in that respect. And uh, I don't say that just because of the fact they beat Mississippi State. I said it in the preseason. And I'm still not completely sold on South Carolina, but I do admit they're intriguing. It will be an interesting weekend uh, for the Gamecocks. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I was by there earlier today. I had to drop the kid off and uh, because we got a flat tire on a Honda CRV and no tire lock key. So we're working through all that nonsense. There's nothing worse than that when you're a teenager, right? Having, you, know, you get your car, you have a level of independence, and all of a sudden you're dependent on rides again. I hate it, man. I do. I absolutely hate it. But the reality of it is, is uh, he works at Bulldog Burger Company. And I tell you this, every day that he gets up and goes to work, he's excited to go to work. It's a fun place to work. He's got a lot of great friends there. He's going to prom with one of his, uh, one of his uh, female co-workers up there. And uh, it's been a great experience. It has been. And I'm, I'm really happy that two of my kids have worked with the Eat With Us group and uh, have done a good job and had a great experience. And so if you're looking for a job, let me tell you, look no further than one of the Eat With Us restaurants. Of course, that's... Uh, you know, Harvey's and The Grill and Bulldog Burger Company, uh, Sweet Pepper's Deli. Uh, but, you know, listen, Bulldog Burger Company, that's our spot, right? Go by and have a great restaurant, quality hamburger. I've already had a couple people hit me up about the tap takeover they had in Tupelo. Said it was a great experience. And so you need to think about that in the future. That's, that's probably something the next time we make an announcement, put it on your calendar and go by and enjoy you know, getting to know some new brew. I'm living vicariously through you, so I need these messages, right? Steve, it's great. Okay, cool. I'll take your word for it. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. It's on the menu. It started on this show. It is now in print. You can trust it. It's the science. Go experiment for yourself. I've had some listeners in the past said, Steve, I had the spring rolls and I got in my car to leave. I looked in the rearview mirror. I barely recognized myself. Test me on this. And get that dessert to go, that chocolate shake to go is always a winner. I like the bread pudding, too. I like to get it in a to-go container because once I get home, I need that palate cleanser. And sometimes I think, you know what? I think I'm good for the night. And then I'll be watching some Netflix documentary and say, you know what? Something sweet sure would be good. And I go down and grab that bread pudding. And you go to sleep with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a look at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is not what they have been. And uh, I think a lot, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of people are figuring out how to recruit against Vanderbilt. And I think NIL is a big part of that. You know, when the, the NIL stuff first got stirred up, and I'm a baseball guy. 
I, I'm, I admit it. I proudly admit it. I love baseball. I love Mississippi State baseball. I had some people within the league tell me Tim Corbin is totally against NIL. And I said, well, if Tim is against it, then that must mean it's a good thing for us on the baseball side anyway. So all that being said, I think Vandy, I think maybe their window may be closing a bit because, you know, they've used need-based aid. It's, it's something, it's a loophole. It's not illegal. It's not. Might be a tad unethical, but I tell you, there'd be a fool not to utilize it as long as the NCAA allows that loophole to remain open. They've got the endowment to do it. I'm not going to get into some big, long, detailed, uh, you know, diatribe about what that all means. But I think NIL, in some respects, in college baseball, can be a little bit of a um, leveling of the playing field on the recruiting trail. And I think think you're going to see Vandy have a little more competition when it comes to that. That's my firm belief. And we'll see. And, uh, again, I, they're, they're messing around with the scholarship stuff, but here's the deal. Until they give us a chance to fully fund baseball, it's all just window dressing. All right, so Vandy opens up the season in the college baseball showdown. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand-new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Out at Globe Life Field, we played there. We did. Played out there in 2021. They lose to TCU game 111-4. They bounce back and beat Oklahoma State, who I will submit to you is one of the best college baseball programs in the country historically, and I don't know that they get enough respect. So Vandy beats them 11-9, and then they shell Texas 12-2. What the hell is going on in Texas? I mean, I ask myself at all time, how can Texas, you know, you know, the program of Cliff Gustafson and Augie Garrido, how in the world is Texas scuffling the way they have been? You know, it's like heading into 2021, I had people, college baseball insiders that said, hey, there's a good chance that A&M and Texas both make a change this year. You're like, wow. You know, David Pierce, of course, you know, had, had a good run there at, uh, at Tulane and, and got the job at Texas. They haven't been able to t- take advantage of it. Of course, the year 2021, they were kind of that team that uh, in many ways kind of legitimized Mississippi State. They had a really good team. We beat them at Globe Life. And of course, we beat them in Omaha. It was impressive. But I, well, what in the world is going on? How is Texas? It's almost like when LSU was scuffling, right? Like, and college baseball needs Texas to be good. We do. It's a great, great, great program. They have not played great last couple of years. A lot of people last year, I said last year that I felt like they were going to be the preseason number one in 2022. And they had a bad year. I mean, I say a bad year. In relation to their expectations, they had a bad year. They finished 47-22 and 22 overall, 14-10 and 10 in their conference. And... Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy how it all works, you know. They make it back to Omaha last year, and they go 0-2, and, and then people are like, hey, we, maybe we need to make a change this year. You know, that, that's the expectations of big-time programs. I mean, you know, it's like, hey, you finished third in the country in 2021, you make it back to Omaha in 2022, and people are like, you know what, we're regressing. We are. And that, that that's the price of poker when you play at a college baseball blue blood. And then the Longhorns are 15-7 and seven this year. They got swept in that college baseball showdown. It, it's insanity. They got a big series this weekend against Texas Tech. That's in Austin. You know, they can kind of ride the ship. You know, I guess in some respects that they've played much better as of late. You put together a little solid winning streak here. But, you know, you look at who they played, though. I mean, North Dakota State, UNO, Incarnate Word. So it'll be interesting. This week will be interesting. They get Texas Tech at home, and then they go to A&M. But nevertheless, let's get back to Vanderbilt. All right, so after Vandy takes two out of three in the college baseball showdown, they lose to Central Arkansas. In a mid, you, do, you don't think an SEC team should beat up midweek pitching from Central Arkansas? They absolutely should. And I think this is when you looked at it and said, you know what, maybe there's some issues with this offense. But you felt like maybe that's the outlier because they bounce back the next ball game and they drill UAB 12-1, 13-1, excuse me. They get by UCLA in game one, 6-0, then lose 3-0, then win 2-1. You say, okay, UCLA, Coach Savage and those guys always you know, tend to have pitching out there. 
So maybe you can't judge them too harshly because they didn't score a lot of runs against UCLA. It's 11-7 win over Austin P. They lose to Nebraska 5-3, beat Maryland 8-7, and then beat Minnesota 4-0. And, I, you know, playing Big Ten teams, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a good barometer of, of who you are as a program. They get Tennessee Tech 12-1. We still love the Golden Eagles. Thank you very much. Uh, they, they beat Evansville 2-1 in 17 innings in Nashville. And again, you go back to this hitting. Okay, your hit, hitting should never slump against midweek pitching. You may lose, you know, you may have a bad pitching outing, but you should never go out there and score two runs in a midweek game against Evansville. You kidding me? They did. And that's a 17-inning ball game. It took 17 innings to win that game. They bounced back, right, and beat Loyola Marymount 2-1. Loyola Marymount then they beat them 2-0 and then lose 9-6. And so all of a sudden, now that people have had some film on these Vandy hitters, all of a sudden runs have been hard to come by. Then they beat Belmont 15-6, and then they go face Ole Miss. And listen, Ole Miss was a little bit overrated. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, that, you know, and give Mike Bianco a lot of credit. They won an Apple championship last year. We've got one, right? I mean, so it's like, hey, we know how difficult it is to get one. And it was really a matter of time before Ole Miss got one. It was. I'm just glad we got one before they did. That would have been miserable, right? But you wonder, without Hunter Elliott, how good is this Ole Miss pitching staff? Because Vanderbilt had been scuffling offensively, but they 10-run rule Ole Miss on Thursday, then beat them 8-0, and then get them 7-2, and that's a come-from-behind win there. And so Vandy puts up 27 runs on Ole Miss pitching. Does that mean the Vandy offense is better than we think? Or is the Ole Miss pitching staff worse than we expected? Or is it a combination of both? They don't play their midweek game against Lipscomb. That game gets canceled. So they have not played since last Saturday. Should be well-rested and perhaps a little bit rusty. And again, that's 4 p.m. today. Uh, we'll take on Vanderbilt. We have had some great series against them. There's no doubt about it. People forget in 18, we went to Nashville and won the Super Regional in Nashville. Should have won it in two games. A couple of big walk-offs up there set up a dramatic uh, game three. My endearing image of that weekend is uh, Jake Mangum after we win and get to Omaha. Jake's just running around looking for somebody to hug and couldn't find anybody. It's crazy. But we win. I still think that uh, that regional, Super Regional should have been here. It's my personal opinion. But nevertheless, we win. We went to Omaha. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, 19, they were outstanding. They were. Vanderbilt, absolutely outstanding ball club. But uh, let's take a look inside the numbers. A lot has changed on this roster from last year. And we knew last year they were going to take a bit of a dip. We did. And, yes, they played for a national title in 2021. We're a game away from winning the national championship. But we knew that things were going to be a little bit different last year. And so there's not a lot of names left from that 2021 team. But there are some notables. They're back. One of my favorite players in all of college baseball is center fielder Enrique Bradfield. Love this guy. He's a gap-to-gap defender. He is an absolute speed merchant can bunt, can lag out an infield hit. He's a guy, if he does get one in the gap, he's going to make you pay. He can go all the way around, get some triples, even though he doesn't have one so far this year. Got one home run. He's not a guy that's really going to hurt you with power. So I've always felt like you got to go challenge him because I think a guy like Enrique, even though he's only hitting 247, and, and maybe it's because it's the money year, maybe he's trying to do too much. But the reality of it is Enrique Bradfield can handle the bat pretty well is a punch and Judy guy. 
He's just not a really a doubles guy, even though he's got the speed and sometimes he'll lag out a single into a double because he is so electric. But I love watching this guy play center field. I hate watching him play center field against us because a lot of balls in the gap get run down. We will not see a more athletic center fielder at Duty Noble Field this entire season than Enrique Bradfield. Everybody knows it. I love his game. I do. And, it, and you know, looking at the numbers here, you kind of wonder, you know, what, what's kind of going on with him. He's played in all 21 games, started all 21, uh, just got 20 hits on the year. You kind of wonder what's going on there. Uh, but, but nevertheless, that guy is a table setter if there ever was one. And kind of an old school 80s guy. You know, a guy that can get on first base and still second. Next thing you know, you're in a scoring opportunity right away. So you got to be able to control the running game. That's the thing I worry about with him. Even when we've had our great and elite catchers, and Ricky Bradfield has kind of ran the bases at will against us. And a lot of that burden falls to the pitchers because it's kind of like the quarterback. When a quarterback throws a pick, everybody says, oh, it's all on the quarterback. Well, you don't know that the receiver didn't fight for the football. The receiver ran the wrong route on a timing route. This whole uh, controlling the running game is really a, a game between the pitcher and the catcher. You know, sometimes we're 1-6, 1-7 to the plate, and our pop time is about the same. You don't even have to be fast to steal a base. We've got to be quicker to the plate. We also have to hold runners close. You can't let them get an expanded lead. But a guy like Bradfield doesn't need much. And so that's I expect this game tonight to be close. And so every run matters, every base matters. So controlling Bradfield is a tall task, but we're going to have to do a good job of that. All right, R.J. Shrek leads a team with a 329 batting average, and this team's just hitting 267. You know, a, a, a pitching staff that's struggling at times to get people out, you get, a, you get a team like this that struggles to put the ball in play, encourages you to pound the zone. They have not hit uh, – for average all year long. But Shrek leads him at 329. Matthew Polk, 319. That's it. Among the Vandy uh, starters, they're the only two that are hitting over 300. Then there's Chris Maldonado, who has become a bit of a regular as of late, hitting 356. But outside of that, there's not a lot that really scares you. R.J. Shrek has five dingers, which leads a team. His 17 RBI is tied for the team lead. Uh, slugging at 645. So you got to find a way to kind of control him. But there's not a lot of depth in this order. There's not. You get through the first five hitters or so, you got to be able to get fat. You got to be able to challenge and let defense play behind you. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh, Jonathan Vastine's the guy they're very high on. He's hitting 278. Slugging percentage, not so much. You know, he's, he's got a few doubles in there, but uh, got three dingers too. R.J. Austin, again, these are names that you're not quite as familiar with. Uh, five doubles and three dingers for him. Jack Bulger's a guy that's been around. Not the most athletic guy, but he does swing a pretty big bat. Got a couple of dingers. And there's Parker Nolan. It feels like Parker Nolan has been there forever. And, and he's a utility guy, can play whatever they want him to play, but he's hitting 244. You expect a much better average from a veteran like that. His on-base percentage is 314. What's happening with him? We talk about players. We talk about the developmental piece at Mississippi State. A lot of people say, well, you know, what's happening here? Who's getting better? You know, who's developed? And then you look and you see Enrique Bradfield and Parker Nolan, who were three-year starters for Vanderbilt, and uh, both heading you know, below buck 250, you know. And so you begin to wonder, what's happening in college baseball? On the pitching side of things, uh, listen, these guys, Vanderbilt's always going to have pitchers. They are. They're always going to have pitchers. 
Some years it's better than others. I mean, they'll probably never have a rock or lighter combo, anything close to that. It's probably the best one-two combination we've seen probably in a decade or more. But Hunter Owens, the guy that can really swing it, five starts for him, got one complete game. And in 28 and two-thirds of an inning, he's allowed just 19 hits, 35 Ks against nine walks. Now, I don't know that he's faced a team that's quite as patient as Mississippi State can be at times at the plate. But this is a guy that gets under barrels. He gets a ton of ground ball outs, a ton. He's a ground ball machine. Opponents are hitting just a buck 84 against him. He has allowed a couple of home runs, but it's five extra base hits. Of the 19 hits, 14 of them are singles. That's something to really watch. So, you know, we'll see him. And Carter Holton, 2.39 ERA, also 2-0, five starts on the season, 26 in the third innings pitch. He's allowing just under a hit per inning. But he is a guy at times that uh, gets hit. He'll leave some balls up. And uh, with it being a little bit warmer, perhaps we can poke some out of the yard. But uh, he has allowed a team-high 10 doubles and allowed one home run. Opponents hitting 234 against him. He's also had three wild pitches, five hit-by-pitches. So control is a little bit erratic at times. And when those moments occur, we have got to be able to take full advantage. Uh, Devin Futrell has four starts on the year for them. Uh, 3.05 ERA. He is 4-1 on the campaign, and his four wins leads the staff. 20 and two-thirds of an innings pitch, 11 hits allowed. Also a guy, too, that, uh, you know, a decent strikeout-to-walk ratio, but he's not right at 3-1 to one or even 4-1. to one. Some of those guys are really close to that. He's 18-8. and eight. So just over 2-1 to one, uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio. Another guy that's a little bit susceptible to the long ball. He's allowed three home runs this year. But, uh, you know, they're going to be solid. They are. They always have been. Under Tim Corbin, they've gotten, you know, gotten fat here in recent years. And uh, Vanderbilt used to kind of be an also-run program when it came to college baseball. But Tim Corbin has changed that. Uh, Nick Maldonado, who is absolutely filthy. I, I hate seeing him because he throws that variety of sliders. And just when you think you've got him figured out, he'll make an adjustment to his grip and get a little more bite or sink on it. And he strikes you out. He's got three saves on the season with eight appearances and just gone 11, uh, 11 two-thirds of an inning's pitch. Allowed just two hits all year long. It's ridiculous, man. 16 Ks against four walks. And so if it ever gets to him, it's curtains. Opponents are hitting .056 against him. You're just not going to get anything. I'm so glad when he graduates, I'm going to send him a gift. I'm so ready to see him leave and go on to pro baseball. I was hoping he would do it last year. This guy's filthy. And so if they get to the eighth or ninth with a lead, the sledding is going to be awfully tough. Awfully, awfully, awfully tough. One thing I've always thought about it with Maldonado, because he is so filthy and he is so reliant on a slider, make him defend his position. You know, if you have some speed out there, rather than up there trying to square everything up, I'm going to, I'm going to bunt. I'm going to find a way to get on base and put him in a stretch and try to make him uncomfortable as much as I can, even though he spends – I don't – he rarely goes to the windup anyway. But the guy's absolutely filthy. And to be honest with you, I think from the pitching standpoint, this is what worries you the most. It's like Maldonado. Because if it's going to be a nip and tuck game, when you start comparing bullpens to bullpens, they got Maldonado, we don't. So Mississippi State's going to have to make sure that we, uh, we, we prevent that from happening. You're going to see Maldonado at some point this weekend. You may see him twice. But the guy's absolutely filthy. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And the fact that I want him to graduate, I think, kind of speaks to what I think about Maldonado's ability. 
I mean, it feels like he has been there for 10 years. He is that good. I'm ready for him to go. I really am. And, uh, again, if you get into later innings, if you, if you even get a base hit against this guy, you've really accomplished something. But it's so difficult to string things together against him. And it seems like, okay, with three years in a league, everybody's got tape on him. You'd think he'd figure it out. Baseball's a game of adjustments. And Nick just continues to evolve and adjust. And he's so good at what he does. Very, 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 very talented pitcher. But uh, nevertheless, that's your look at Vanderbilt. Um, again, this is not a great offensive team. Now, opponents are only hitting a buck 91 against them. But I think some of that is the quality of competition that they played. But this Vanderbilt team obviously has got arms. Uh, they're going to be very talented at the plate as far as plate discipline goes. They're not a team that, you know, is going to give you a whole lot. They're going to make you earn it. And we have not been able to do that. And that's a concern. It's like you think, okay, if we go out there and throw strikes, if we don't walk the ballpark, we put ourselves in a position to go win this series. Because there's not a lot in this lineup that can consistently hurt you. I understand what happened last weekend at Ole Miss. And I think some of that, I think Ole Miss got a little shell shock when Doherty didn't play as well as they had hoped. But uh, Vanderbilt has a little bit of swing and miss in this lineup. Maybe not as much as they had a year ago, but 151 Ks uh, as a team so far. They've grounded into five double plays. So decent speed on the bases, but uh, they will bunt the baseball. They'll move you around a little bit too. But 32 of 43 as a team in stolen bases, and 15 of those stolen bases belong to Enrique Bradford. He's thrown out four times already, which may be a career high. I mean, it just he is electric on the bases. But uh, they will run with opportunity, and you know as well as I do, they're going to run this weekend. As a team, defensively, they've allowed 13 stolen bases and 18 attempts. Not a lot of people have stolen bases against them. So that will make this Amani Larry, Colton Ledbetter, one-two punch, top of the order, That'll be an interesting matchup. It really will be. But uh, I, I think this Vanderbilt team is a good team. I don't think they're great. And, and that's not a shot at Ole Miss. I think, uh, I think that last weekend was a bit of an anomaly. I do think Ole Miss is a better team. You said, but Steve, how can you say that when they got swept? I just think the makeup of that Ole Miss team is better. And I think they got punched in the mouth on Thursday and they struggled to recover. And I think when you don't have Hunter Elliott, a guy that can be a stopper, to go out there and get that Friday night win for you, and we're dealing with that now, and you get punched in the mouth and you start feeling pressure. And this is a team, you know, listen, we, we dealt with it last year too. You know, you, you go around for the whole offseason, everybody telling you how great you are and how historic your thing is, you know, your, your accomplishments are. And you get a little bit hung up a little bit and maybe reading your press clippings and maybe you don't come out and respond the way you should, you know. And so that's just part of the deal. But I do think State can take this series. I don't know if I expect State to take this series. But I think if State can get a lead today, after six, I think State can win the series. I think State could win. You win Friday, it sets you up really well. I expect State to win on Sunday. I think today is the toss-up game. And then Saturday is a game, you know, you know, we'll see how things go. I think, you know, their, their Saturday pitching uh, might be a little bit better than ours. That's not saying an awful lot. I'm not trying to sit here and be self-loathing. But the reality of it is I think Gerangelo gives you a great chance to win. And then depending on when you use Nate – that helps help a great deal as well. But uh, if we go out here and walk these guys, it's going to be just like last weekend. It is. So we got to go out there and pound the zone. And that's got to be game plan number one, is get strike one and then work from there. All right, time for today's top ten list. And uh, we're going to revisit a list. Roy says we've never done these. I think what's happening is some of these, uh, some of these lists are kind of 
aging out on us on the Spotify channel. However, some of these modern rock bands have released new albums, so our top ten has changed. And so, I want to thank our friend Blair Chandler, a longtime friend of mine, long friend, longtime friend of the show, a longtime friend to mortgage borrowers and to lenders, because Blair knows how to structure loans to get them approved without a lot of fanfare, right? Visit him at CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Hit him up. His personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Blair has been in the industry 21 years. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Back-to-back years, you hear it all the time. Put your needs in the hands of a closer. Simple as that. There are a lot of people out there that want your business. Blair has earned it. Works at Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage loan origination. You can trust your business to just about anybody. But I'm telling you, you're better off sticking with a winner like Blair Chandler. Again, that's closewithblair.com, 601-500-2344. That goes directly to Blair. That's his personal cell number. And nobody stays in any industry 20-plus years by accident. The guy knows what he's doing. All right, top 10 list today. Uh, my, my wife's probably favorite modern rock band is a band called Nothing More. They're based out of Baton Rouge in San Antonio. Johnny Hawkins, I've met him. I've met uh, multiple members of this band. Johnny Hawkins, I think, is a genius. Uh, he is an incredible lyricist, an incredible performer on stage. He walks out there. All he has on is a pair of Levi jeans. He's barefooted, no shirt. And uh, probably best he doesn't because he would sweat through all that stuff. But uh, Johnny is a remarkable person. Uh, and a, a remarkable performance a performer, and he has a lot to say. So we're going to re- revisit Nothing More because they have added uh, a new album since we've done the list, and I, I contend to Roy, we have done Nothing More before. But uh, they have four albums out. The first one was The uh, the Few Not Fleeting, and that was really before they got their major release. And then uh, things changed for them. They had the uh, top rock song in the country for the year. Uh, back in 2014, the self-titled album, Nothing More. The follow-up was the stories we tell ourselves. And then back last year, they released Spirits, which, uh, again, kind of shows the evolution of the band. Nothing More right now, really one of the emerging headliners in modern rock. And I want to thank you guys, too. I had so many people that messaged me about uh, the list we did on Wednesday. Top new rock bands you should know. Last check, we're over 12,000 impressions on that list. 12,000. Think about that for a second. Again, shout out to our boy Fred Harley, the front man for Storage 24. I've been jamming that song Anger Management all week. If you, if you haven't done it, do it. Not just because he's a bulldog. It's a killer rock song. And, and I, I joke with Fred. I mean, like he's got a little bit of a rap part there at the end. And uh, there's a part there. He says, you know, go and get your people. We don't care. That's, that's us. That's kind of the Mississippi State story. You know, we don't care. Uh, it's a great song, and uh, really doing what we can to kind of get some exposure for Fred and Storage 24. Glad those guys have reunited. They're out playing again. And uh, we'll be out at Martin's April 1st to go watch Storage 24. That's the plan anyway. Hopefully I can get down with baseball in time. I had plan to head down to the Martin's and support uh, Fred and the group. So if you're in the central Mississippi area looking for something to do on April Fool's Day, come hang with us at Martin's. All right, but back to our nothing more list. All right, number 10, one of the first singles off the Spirits album. It's a great song called Tired of Winning. Are you tired of winning? 
And basically it's about, hey, you've worked really hard to get to this point. Are you, continue, are you, are you willing to continue the journey? There are a lot of people, especially in our industry, and I guess it's not just unique to us, uh, but I, I won't name any names, but I know some people, it's like they reach a certain status of success. It's like they reach a comfort standard of living and they lose their hunger. And you see it in music, you see it in everything else. It's like, okay, well, now I've got this. Look at all I've accomplished. You know, I remember being that guy, man, living at 215 North 34th Street, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, eating bacon and tomato sandwiches just to survive. And knew there were bigger things ahead of me. And uh, even now, nowadays, you know, I got a cool car, you know, got the hot wife and got the big house and the, the great family. And sometimes I look around here at all this memorabilia I've collected and I think to myself, hey, I've accomplished something. And there are other days I wake up and I said, I haven't accomplished anything yet. You know, yeah, I'm happy with what I have, but I'm not tired of winning. I want to keep winning. So no, Johnny, I'm not tired of winning. All right, number nine, do you really want it? It kind of goes hand in hand. Do you really want it is off that great album, The Stories We Tell Ourselves. I believe that was the debut single from the album. And, uh, but it's, one, it's a song of inspiration. You know, it's like one of the things that I used to tell when I was in a retail furniture business, and I've lived the Forrest Gump life, done a lot of different things, is we have to do as salespeople what our competition is unwilling to do. It's not that they're incapable. They're just unwilling to do it. And so we're going to have expansive product knowledge. We're going to turn you know, recliners over. We're going to show you the mechanism and show how things are made. And, and that sounds kind of silly, but, but the reality of it is that's, that's life in a nutshell. People want to do business with people they find credible. So you establish credibility by having more knowledge. And so do you really want it? Are you, really, are you willing to do the things your competition's unwilling to do? And are you willing to do the things that maybe your old self were unwilling to do? Yeah, you know, I was a person, I, I used to be a middle distance runner. I don't have the time for it anymore. Sometimes I wish I did. I'm getting older. Uh, but there are so many things in life that, like the old uh, adage, you know, it's like, you know, fear has killed, uh, you know, more dreams than failure ever could. That's the reality of life. There's so many things in my life that I didn't know that I could do until I became willing to try. So you have to ask yourself, do you really want it? Number eight, I think this is the first single off the Spirits album. It's Turn It Up Like, and it's another one of these uh, very produced industrial type songs. It's got a nice little bass line to it. It's just different. A lot of variety and nothing more catalog. Love these guys to death. Number seven, this is one of those songs, too. It's a little bit, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's a misnomer. The, the title is Go to War, but it's really about the moments after an argument with somebody you love. You know, it's like, you know how it is, like when you're in love with somebody and it's like you're holding on so tight, you want things to go well and something doesn't. And it's like they say something or do something that kind of hurts you or makes you feel insecure. So you want to respond in kind. And then you hate it. And that's what the song is about. It's like having acrimony within the relationship, whether it be romantic or, or family. But it's like we go to war sometimes and we say the things sometimes, you know, you keep that nuclear warhead, right, tucked away. It's like, man, if she ever says this, I'm going to come out with this. And that's a, such a terrible way to live, right? It absolutely is. I don't, I don't keep anything in the chamber. I used to when I was younger and immature. But, but it's like the, the thought of saying something to hurt my wife's feelings, yeah, it just seems so foreign to me now. You know, when I, maybe when I was younger and more insecure, and I guess in some respects I still am, but um, it was different. You know, it's like, hey, you, you want to hurt me, I'll hurt you back. That's just no way to live. It's no way to love. And so I hope that you can kind of rid that from uh, your life. We've all had those relationships in the past where, like, 
when things begin to kind of, you know, you hit a rough patch and it's like, they want to make you think you don't matter to them. You know, it's like, oh, I don't matter to you. Well, you know what? I did this and you did this. And, and so that's kind of what the song is about is we're going to war with the people we love. I don't want to go to war with anybody, but certainly not with anybody I love. Nobody that shares my address or my last name, or my DNA. All right. Number six, this is the more recent single from the spirits album. And, uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with some of that. It's you don't know what love is and it's killing me. And there are a lot of people out there that don't know what love is. I've been in those relationships before. It's like people, some people tell you they love you because it's a, a social custom, right? Well, I'm, I'm with this person and we're together and we're sharing time together and perhaps sharing a bed together. And so it makes me feel better to say that I love them. They don't. There are a lot of people out there that don't truly understand what love is because they, they live love and life with reservations. I'm an all-in person, man. I really am. And there have been times in my life that I've held my heart back, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's like, that's a tough way to live, too. It's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, I don't want to be totally into this thing because I don't want to get hurt. Well, you're going to get hurt either way, whether you make a 100% commitment or a 50% commitment. And chances are, if you make a 50% commitment, your chances of getting hurt go up exponentially. So I'm a firm believer in living and loving wide open. I know what love is, and I share it as often as I can. Number five, this is one of my favorite songs in a catalog. It absolutely is. I, I don't know why it wasn't a bigger hit. It was a single kind of at the end of the album cycle, a self-titled album. It's called Here's the Heartache. And it reminds me so much of when I met my wife because uh, I, had, I, would, I had been living with somebody else and uh, had gone to treatment and all this kind of stuff. And so I get out of all of my paying for all my consequences and tried to resume the relationship. It didn't work out. And uh, I was so despondent about all that. It's like, you know, I really wanted this to happen. And I think in some respects, it was probably a control thing. Like, how dare this person leave me after all that I've been through? And uh, I guess I had seen Dana one time before, and I went to an AA meeting. It was one chair open in the room. One chair. And it's packed. People were sitting on benches and standing up, and it just happened to be this one chair. And I couldn't believe that one chair right by the door was open. And so I went and sat in that chair, and it was next to her. And I told her all about my girl troubles. And next thing you know, we became a couple. And I brought that up a while back, and I said, um, it's just amazing to me. What if somebody else had sat in that chair? You know, how different my life would have been. And she said, nobody sat there because it was your chair. And it's very profound to think about that. But um, the title of the track is Here's to the Heartache. You know, in some respects, it's kind of like um, the Rascal Flat song, you know, about um, – the broken road it's kind of like that it's like well here's to the heartache and all the mistakes and everything else that led me to you and that's what it is every every mistake especially you know life and relationships got to be a learning process it should prepare you for the next relationship it should i know that sometimes we get to be my age you could be bitter and jaded and think the world owes you something but uh, but that's a great song and uh if if you don't listen to any of them that's the one i think that i would suggest especially if you're a person that's in love today here's to the heartache Number four, and this is perhaps my wife's favorite song of the last decade. And a lot of it's because of, uh, you know, we've lost a parent. Both of us have lost a parent here in the last, uh, you know, 15 years or so. And, um, and that's what the song is about. It's called Fade In, Fade Out. You've watched me fade in. No, I've, I've watched you fade in. You will watch me fade out. And uh, I remember from the very beginning when she first heard it, it, was, it became synonymous on a road trip. And every time I'd look over, she'd have tears in her eyes thinking about her mom. It's like, 
it's a cycle of life. And it's like there's this advice that, that uh, the parent is giving the child, you know, about never settle, you know, never settle and, and, and do, the, do all the things that you want to do. And uh, it's one of those things, too, like in some songs, I think you can hear your loved one's message to you, maybe in somebody else's voice. And I think for her, this is one of those songs. I think she hears her mother in the song. And so it's very important to her. And she always used to tell me, this reminds me of my mom and your dad. And uh, <clears throat> I'm the kind of person, too, that uh, I'm always, when it comes to that kind of stuff, especially with my dad, I'm always just so emotional thinking about that anyway. But uh, this is one of those songs. I think if if uh, if my wife had to pick, you know, a greatest hits album of her life, this song would be on there. All right, number three, probably my favorite song on the, the Stories We Tell Ourselves album. It's Let Them Burn. Let Them Burn. And we go from all this relationship, uh, family, nostalgia type stuff to let them burn uh heard them play this in person for the first time at rocklahoma a few years ago it was outstanding and i could not wait to get my hands on this and uh it's one of those songs too man it's basically it, the title is kind of self-explanatory let them burn it's very uh aggressive song in that respect number two a song that means an awful lot to me and uh I'll give you a little bit of backstory on this. And so Johnny Hawkins' sister um, is an addict, and I think she's in recovery now, I think. But she also had, uh, you know, mental issues and that sort of stuff. So she was kind of a cross-diagnosed. She had a predilection to chemical dependency, but also had some mental health issues. And uh, they started a foundation. It's the Jenny Foundation, and it's to help people like that. It's to raise money. And so I've given money to that. And uh, saw them in Lafayette, Louisiana, at a fundraiser. It was about it was all it was was a benefit show to raise money for the Jenny Foundation. And um, this song is basically an open letter from Johnny Hawkins to his sister. And his mom was uh, riddled for, with cancer, and she fought and fought and fought because she didn't want to die with her daughter out in the world. And so it's a very emotional song. It's a very aggressive song. It's um, a very authentic and genuine song. And uh, I remember that the fundraiser, like people would get up and talk about the Jenny stuff. You know, it's like they, they had these shirts that said, I, you know, I dated Jenny or I knew Jenny or I know Jenny. And, and it's like all these things, like Jenny became like synonymous with people that are somewhat self-destructive. And a lot of it's because of the fact that they have some real issues that require professional intervention. And uh, so I had my I Know Jenny bracelet and I went to uh, to the Oklahoma City bombing memorial for the first time. And I was so moved by the experience. It's the only place I've ever been where people don't talk. And you don't talk out of respect. And I've told people it's like being on holy ground. It's, it's difficult to describe. If you've never been to the Oklahoma City bombing memorial, I encourage you to go. It was life-changing for me. It really was. And uh, I don't say that out of hyperbole. It meant an awful lot to me to be there because it makes you, number one, appreciate the people of Oklahoma, but also, two, it makes you appreciate your own life and the fact that we're all living under the reign of a sovereign king, and uh, there's so much that happens in life, and I'm so grateful that it wasn't my family having to deal with that. It's terrible. It is. But after the, the, uh, the tour was over, you walk outside, and there's this fence, and it's the fence, of course, where people leave things, in honor of those children that died in that daycare. And I hate to be all somber today, 
But I stood there and I just, I was so emotional, you know, because I have children. And I remember when the Oklahoma City bomb memorial happened, we had just had Ani. You know, we'd had a miscarriage before and then we had Ani. And uh, it made me appreciate how difficult it is to have children. And so my heart was softened through all that stuff. And I remember as I'm standing there, I remember, you know, that that could have been our daycare center. It didn't have to be Oklahoma City. It could have been anywhere. And I just felt like I needed to leave something. So I left my I Know Jenny bracelet on that fence. And that seems like such a small thing, but it was so important to me, the I Know Jenny Foundation and the Oklahoma City Bomb Memorial. And so I, I put it on there, took a picture, I tweeted it out and uh, to kind of raise awareness. Not that I wanted anybody to look at me and say, hey, look at what Steve's done. But there are a lot of people out there that are hurting, and a lot of people see it as an issue of morality, and it's not. There are some people that have very serious hurts and hangups that require attention and requires medical intervention and so if you're one of those people let me encourage you to get help wherever you can finally the song number one the former number one song of the year it's a song called ballast but people call it now is the time and it basically it is a song about letting go you know divers use ballast of course you know to help hold them down to help control their buoyancy that's kind of the premise of the song. And it's like there's a part of it talks about we're you know, hanging on to each other like ransom notes. You know, I think it's a very powerful lyric. But basically, it's like all the things that hold you down. Why are you, why are you hanging on to that? Let it go and flow back to the surface. Get out of the murky deep and get back to the sun. And so that's what this song is about. Of course, there's the intro. I encourage you to just turn the album on Let It Go and listen to the intro because it kind of takes you into it. And then all of a sudden, the percussion hits, and you feel like you're on this roller coaster ride. But the very first time I heard this song, I was like, holy smokes, who are these guys? What's well, nothing more? They're a phenomenal band. If you're unfamiliar with them, I, I would submit to you, they're one of the top three modern rock bands in the world right now. And they came basically out of nowhere. And then the genius of Johnny Hawkins was discovered. And then every album, they just kind of build upon. And one of the songs that didn't make the... Uh, the list that I would recommend to you too. It's a, a song called Just Say When. And it's about, it's a relationship song. You know, it's like, you know, the relationship ended because we stopped pouring in. That's what it's about. It's like, it's, it's not that we weren't evenly matched. It wasn't that we weren't a good couple. It's just we stopped putting forth the effort. And there's so much of that that happens in life, whether it be romantic or, or family relationships or whatever. So you have to kind of, you know, you got to continue to plant seeds. But, the song Ballast, for me, was one of those songs that gave me hope for a new era in rock and roll. For a long time, we hadn't had somebody kind of come out of nowhere and blow things up, and then nothing more did that. And so if you're unfamiliar with them, get familiar with them. And thanks, as always, to CloseWithBlair.com for sponsoring the Top Ten List. If you have ideas for the Top Ten List, reach out let us know. We're happy to help you. You can find me on all forms of social media, at ScoutSteveR, Roy Samante on Twitter, at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find our great list also on Spotify at Dogmatic 67. All right, next segment of the show brought to you as always by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billigan institution. Visit them next time you're in town. Go by and see their smiling faces. Miss Kathy Brown does an exceptional job outfitting that store with the latest in Mississippi State merchandise. Mom, it's time. You've, you've kind of pushed it back. You're like, oh, we just had Christmas. Yeah, it's true. But the kids 
and dad and yourself need some new Mississippi State merchandise to wear to Duty Noble Field and certainly out at Davis Wade Stadium this year, go ahead and start looking now and make some purchases to outfit your family in Mississippi State merch. And maybe decorating your home or perhaps a man cave or an office or your vehicle. You can find everything you need to do that at Campus Bookmart. If you can't make it to town, perhaps you live out of state, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right. Big baseball weekend. Uh, coming up already began last night just one game Wednesday we had the uh, Kansas and Missouri game a game that uh, Missouri won we watched most of that game over at the farm in Ruville Mississippi Missouri wins eight to three Kansas struggled to pitch it well starter lasted uh, less than two innings of a game what can you say about Missouri pretty impressive showing so far They sweep Tennessee. If you had that coming, I need to go with you to the casino. And then last night, Auburn and Georgia gets underway. Auburn comes from behind in a ball game. You know, we thought this would be maybe a game where runs would be difficult to come from, come by. It ends up being an 11-inning game. Georgia now 0-4 in the SEC, 14-8 overall. I like Kentucky to finish ahead of them in the standings. I'll be on that, that bandwagon most of the year. Auburn now 1-3, 15-6 overall. Georgia jumps out to a 3-0 lead in the top half of the fourth. Auburn gets one back in the fourth, one back in the fifth. It's a 3-2 game. Georgia gets an important insurance run in the sixth to make it a 4-2 game. Auburn answers again. It gets into the ninth. Georgia scores two. You think those are huge insurance runs, pushes them up 6-3. This ball game is over. No. It's not over. Not over. As Auburn gets three in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game and force extra innings. And then Auburn walks it off in the 11th for a 7-6 victory. Uh, Georgia with one error in the ballgame. Auburn played uh, pretty clean there. But uh, going back to the bottom of the ninth, what an impressive comeback from the Tigers. And again, this is after. Georgia's kind of put a couple runs up there to make it feel like, hey, this game is going to be done. Pretty crazy, too. Georgia's uh, rally in the ninth ends on a pickoff at first base. But with two outs in the ninth, which makes it even more dramatic, Casey Howell gets down to Auburn's last strike, and he doubles to left to keep the dream alive. Foster's in hit by a pitch. Now the tying run comes to the plate. Ware doubles down the right field line. Howell scores. Foster scores. Now, all of a sudden, the game-tying run is in scoring position. They walk Irish intentionally. And then it's an error at short. That one error proved to be very costly. It allows the tying run to score. You go to the 10th. It's a 1-2-3 inning for, uh, for Georgia. A 1-2-3, excuse me, they, they work around a couple of uh, base runners there in the 10th. Auburn a chance to win it in the 10th. They had a leadoff walk, and they are of the devil. It's a hit by pitch, which puts the winning run in a scoring position. Sack bunt moves the runners around, and you think, okay, anything here wins the ball game. And you get a foul out to first. The hero, Casey Howell, there doesn't come through. Then Foster flies out the center. 
And then the 11th, Auburn pitching stands tall, one, two, three inning. Uh, bottom of the 11th, Ware flies out, Iris singles. Maybe should have walked him again. A foul out to first. It looks like, hey, maybe this thing's going to go another inning, but it doesn't. McMurray singles to right field, puts runners to the corners, and then Stanfield walks below the bases, and they walk in the winning run. Georgia pitching fails them. So quite an interesting ball game to open the SEC weekend. And congratulations to Butch Thompson, the Auburn Tigers, uh, for coming back making that a game. Even though in some respects they were kind of gifted the run there in the 11th, it's the pressure they applied that forced that to happen. So Auburn uh, picking up a big SEC win, their first of the campaign on Thursday night. That series will resume uh, this evening. A uh, SEC Network game. Everything is at 6 except for us. Arkansas and LSU already getting started, trying to get out ahead of this weather. As it stands right now, Arkansas with a one nothing lead. I saw that everybody at D1 Baseball picked LSU to win this series. Uh, with Paul Skeens on the mound, you feel like LSU has a chance to always win a close ball game. But here it is, Arkansas, a, uh, again, one nothing lead. And we expect that score to change over the course of uh, – of this ball game, but uh, Arkansas with one in the top of four. They got one hit in the ball game. That's it. Skeen's absolutely dominating, but it's a double and then a wild pitch and then a sack fly RBI that scores a run. So just one hit in the inning, and at this point, that's the difference in the ball game. We'll see how things go, but Skeen's uh, still going strong, five and a third innings pitch, and again, just one hit, one run, one walk, 10 strikeouts. ERA of 0.76. I know every time that I talk about Paul Skeens, it's like salt in the bulldog wound. It really is. Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, of course, that'll be 4 p.m. Uh, A&M is at Tennessee. This is an interesting series. You, you know, any loss for Tennessee, I think, is good for everybody else because I think they're going to figure it out. They too much talent on that team. But you need A&M to get one. You know, with Islander out there, I don't you know. It's tough to win on Fridays, but. Uh, I like Tennessee to take the series probably 2-1. to one. Missouri's at South Carolina. South Carolina, kind of an intriguing team. They lose earlier this week to Charlotte, and so only their second loss of the year. But you look at this Missouri team playing with a ton of confidence, and you begin to realize that maybe perhaps Missouri is for real. And they need to be for Beezer. They have won a lot of games in a row. Had the, uh, the one, the, I guess the uh, game two loss to NJIT, a 2-1 ball game. But since that time, they win the series finale against NJIT, beat Lamar, sweep Tennessee, and then take down Kansas. You know, pretty impressive fashion. As I mentioned, those none of those games against Tennessee were a fluke. They're at South Carolina. That's huge. A big, big road swing here for the Missouri Tigers is they will be at South Carolina, then at Illinois, at Lindenwood, and then they'll be at Kentucky. We're going to find out here in these next two weekends just how good Missouri is. Dare I say it? I like Missouri Tech series. I do. And, again, maybe it's because maybe I'm caught up in the moment because Missouri has surprised me so much. And you hate to be wrong, right? You hate to be. But you look at the South Carolina team. You know, they lose at Clemson in a midweek game. And they lose to Charlotte in midweek game. They've been outstanding on the weekends. Outstanding. And getting really good pitching, but they're hitting the baseball. And granted, they haven't played a very difficult non-conference schedule. So this is a real test. A real test. 
South Carolina beats Georgia, and then, of course, Georgia loses last night. Georgia now dead last in the East, the, only, the first team to four losses in the conference. But that'll be interesting tonight. And, and if you're at home tonight and looking for something to watch, Missouri will be playing South Carolina on the network. You won't even have to get on your app. You can just go find it directly on your TV. So let's take Missouri in a bit of an upset. Georgia, of course, at Auburn. I like Georgia's pitching. I, I question their ability to score. I don't think Auburn is a great offensive team. Georgia needs a big start. And, of course, Georgia aided in their own demise, of course, with that big error that allowed the game time run to score and then walk in the winning run. It's a very difficult way to lose a ball game. Kentucky's at Alabama. Alabama is now non-ranked. I'm not surprised by that. I think Alabama's a bit of a fraud. I do think Kentucky is for real. I don't think they're going to contend for the East. I do think they make the tournament. And I think Kentucky wins a couple of games this weekend in Tuscaloosa. And I think a lot of people at this point are going to be saying, hey, we undervalue the Wildcats. Florida and Ole Miss, that game has already been rescheduled. They were uh, discussing playing that tonight. However, that's not going to happen. So Florida and Ole Miss will be a doubleheader on Saturday. They'll get started at 1.30 and then play uh, the nightcap uh, scheduled for 5 o'clock. But uh, this will be interesting. I like Florida to win the series. I know that uh, Ole Miss is at home. They're very good in their own ballpark. Florida pitching is legit. Absolutely legit. And, and you expect that under Sully, right? I mean, that's just kind of his calling card. But uh, interesting. Interesting. But it's going to be a good weekend. And uh, we need the Bulldogs to do their part. Take a quick look at the standings here. And not a lot, obviously, to choose from here. But uh, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, Vanderbilt all tied at 3-0. and And then Florida, 2-1. and They lose the one game to Alabama. Tennessee swept by Missouri and Georgia. Swept by South Carolina last week and already down a game to Auburn. So 0-4 and 14-8 and and overall. Uh, they're tied with Mississippi State for the worst record of the Southeastern Conference. Arkansas is 3-0, 19-2. Uh, the only undefeated team in league play is Arkansas. And, of course, uh, you know, leading the game right now, huge, huge game. And any loss to LSU is a win for humanity. Excuse me, any win against LSU is a, hu- is a huge win for humanity. LSU 2-1 in the league, 19-2 overall. Alabama 1-2. A&M 1-2. Auburn 1-3. Ole Miss 0-3. And, and State 0-3. That's the thing you look at right now in the West. And, again, it's just really one week in a play. Everybody in the West, outside of Arkansas and LSU, losing records in the league. So, last weekend, as I mentioned, all five teams that got swept are the ones that went north. And there's something to be said for that, mainly those teams in the East. Most of those teams in the East, with their exception, are at the upper expanses of the Southeastern Conference geographically. So there's always a little more homeful advantage when you got to go play in 35-degree weather against teams that uh, kind of live there. That's how life works. And, and you could make the same argument, too, when you go down to, uh, to Gainesville in May and it's 100 degrees and it's like a sauna down there, that's quite the homeful advantage, too, because those teams in the north, even though it is warmer that time of year than normal, you know, they're not used to dealing with that level of humidity. So there's a homeful advantage for everybody regionally at some point in some respect. But we need our Bulldogs, who are 10-3 and three at home, to post a winning record this weekend. My hope is we take the series. I, I can't sit here and say with any, 
in confidence that we will. We've all seen the same things, right? That's the reality of life. You watch them play. It's not like we look at it on paper and you would suggest, hey, state's going to do this, state's going to do that. Uh, I don't know if anybody can look at that and say with any confidence that, hey, the state team is headed in the right direction. Maybe we thought we were, and then last weekend we get slapped in the face with reality. It's interesting, too. I'm sitting here trying to pull up these stats here. Just to give you a couple things, just to kind of update you on a couple things with your team. And then we're going to talk some football. We spent uh, the afternoon out of football uh, yesterday. But uh, looking at statistics for the Mississippi State Bulldogs for 2023, uh, not going to get into the things that have kind of been put together. You know, we all know that uh, walks, stolen bases, hit by pitches, none of those things are favorable to Mississippi State. We're at the bottom of the conference and all those things. But uh, Colton Ledbetter currently leads the team with a 360 batting average, and he's kind of quietly done it. I tweeted out earlier this week that uh, he's played in 22 games. He's reached base safely in 21 of the 22. I submit there's probably not a people, a lot of people in the Southeastern Conference can make that claim. 10 and 11 of stolen bases as well. 28 walks from Colton Ledbetter, which leads the team. Were you aware of that? You know, your number two hole hitter, we talk about, you, number one, you need to be a contact guy. You need to be a guy that moves the lineup along. He's had 30 free passes, including two hit by pitches, but he's also struck out 13 times. So we've got to reduce the strikeouts. But Colton Ledbetter doing what we expect him to do. Five home runs already. We figured he'd be a double-digit home run guy. He's halfway there the first month during the season. And then 10 of 11 of stolen bases. This guy's a legit athlete. And we're going to need him tonight to maximize our opportunities. Bryce Chance, who has uh, been a regular starter for the Bulldogs, is hitting 333. Also has four stolen bases. Nine, only nine strikeouts for him and 72 at-bats. Pretty good ratio there. Amani Larry hitting 329 and struck out just seven times. And it seems like when he does strike out, though, it's, it's been big moments. But also 11 for 11 in stolen bases. We need those guys at the top of the order to get on base and swipe a base. Give us an opportunity, uh, you know, maybe with a ground ball to the right side to get a ball home or perhaps a sack fly. Luke Hancock, the captain, hitting 328. Power numbers are down. Just got one home run so far. And we saw that last year, too. Had the big year home run-wise in 2021. Didn't hit double digits last year and kind of well behind that pace right now. Hunter Hines, though, hit a ton of home runs last year. Hitting a ton this year. He's got 10. He's also hitting 321. Kind of got off to a slow start, but he's absolutely on fire right now. And 17 strikeouts, which, uh, which leads a team. And that's usually how it happens when you've got these uh, max effort swingers. At times, uh, they get the change up with the breaking ball under a bat. You swing over the top of it. Lane Forsyth hitting 281. On base percentage for Lane is 465, which is among the team leaders. But it's not the team lead. That's, of course, of the regulars. It's Colton Ledbetter. Uh, Callum Clark hitting 276. He got off at a slow start. He's been really good here as of late. He started 20 games out of 21. Didn't play in another. A little bit nicked up there. Uh, but 21 hits for Kellum Clark. Two of those are doubles, one triple, and then seven home runs, which is second on the team, 16 ribbies for him too. Uh, your RBI leader is Colt Ledbetter with 29 and Hunter Hines with 28. And the fact that your two-hole hitter leads a team says a lot about the guys ahead of him getting on. That's your nine-hole hitter and Imani Larry. And if you look at that you know, on-base percentage for both of those guys, you, you see they're getting on about half the time, which means Colton's getting a chance to hit against pitchers in the stretch. The numbers bear that out. Uh, Slade Alford has started 16 games for State. He's hitting 215. 
and of course has made several errors. And that's one of the things that, you know, that has third base. That competition is still open. I think there's a good chance you see David Marchand this weekend uh, get the start at least tonight. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Aaron Downs DH'd on Tuesday. He's hitting 375. He's only started one game. He's been an eight, and Tuesday was the start. Very small sample size for him, but three hits and eight at-bats, and he has scored three runs. Uh, just the one RBI for him. No extra base hits yet, but the ball sounds different coming off his bat. It does. Four walks, just a pair of strikeouts, but this is a guy that normally puts the ball in play. So I think you'll see him start at DH tonight. Just call that a semi-educated guess. With all his left-handers they're expected to throw, you need to put some right-handed bats in the order. And one of the things you probably saw on Tuesday, and I discussed this on Bo Bounds' show earlier today, is you saw some guys, left-handed batters, taking the ball the other way. You saw Kellum Clark do it. You saw Colton Ledbetter do it. Uh, and if that's, that's what you have to do. You've got to hit people out of this shift. If people are going to shift over there, uh, really the right side, and play up the middle and take that part of the field away from you, you got to be able to and willing to work the backside. And I think you're going to see some of that with Colton Ledbetter. And then people have to start playing you straight up, which opens up some stuff to the pool side. So uh, excited to see. And I think Ross Highfield, of course, plays some this weekend. Uh, he's a right-handed hitter as well. And so maybe that plays into things too. You know, that's the thing you think about. What are you going to do? When you start thinking about, okay, I need to stack some right-handers in the order, do you sit Luke Hancock? Arguably the best contact hitter on the team. You certainly don't sit Hunter Hines. And so you've got to figure some things out. So in order to get Ross in the lineup, you've got to make some difficult decisions. Maybe he pinch hits later in a ball game. Don't know. But uh, some difficult decisions to make as we get into this. But uh, we talk about fielding. It's one of those things, too, you look at fielding, you know, you know, game by game. You know, we, we booted the ball around earlier this year. You know, we had three errors game one, three errors game two, one in game four, three in, against UL Monroe. And you start running through this, and you're like, you know, why, why does this happen? However, in the last five games combined, states made just three errors. We want to be able to play clean and not have to deal with that at all. But, you know, the multiple errors is what gets you. you know, that Ohio State game that we lost 8-3, to three, you had four errors in the ball game, which was a, uh, a season high for the Bulldogs. you got to be able to play clean. You have to be able to play clean. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, looking at, um, you know, individual numbers here, and, uh, you know, we'll just kind of, you know, call a spade a shovel. You know, looking at the guys that lead the team in errors. Slate offered with seven errors. Got a fielding percentage of under 800. Pretty crazy. 33 chances, six put outs, 20 assists, seven errors. Lane Forsythe has five errors on the, on the season and also has turned uh, six double plays. So the bulk of these errors, including the three from David Marshawn, have come on the left side of the infield. You know, that's just kind of how things have been. You know, 15 errors of our 30 have come from three players. Luke Hancock's got a couple. Hunter Hines has got a couple. Uh, Amani Larry's got a couple. Dakota Jordan has a couple. Ross Highfield has one. Colton Ledbetter has one. Uh, Gerangelo has one. It's a ball he threw into the outfield. Will Hull has one. A ball he booted the other night. And so you get through all of that, you know, there's going to be some physical errors. But when you have guys that compound the problem regularly, you got to make decisions. I mean, you can't continue to put them out there. If they're not making contributions offensively, you can't let them hurt, hurt you defensively. I mean, you have this whole attitude of, 
you want to drive in more than you let in. But when you're not driving any in and you're letting a ton of runs in, you're a detriment to the team. And when you begin to look at this fielding percentage, it's absolutely remarkable. You're looking at Lane's numbers here. Um, if we can get to the um, fielding, you know, we always talk about, you know, the error, error, error. You know, he all four of these errors, four of his five errors came in the first five ball games. And so since that time, since we played the opening game against Arizona State, Lane Forsythe has made one error. One error. And, and he has multiple chances every ball game playing shortstop. So defensively, he has gotten better. He's also hitting better too. You know, but the reality of it is, is there's a lot of this, people get, they, they get their hot take and then they kind of stick with it all year and not really understand it. I know it, sometimes it feels like I'm a Lane Forsythe apologist. I just don't know that he gets enough credit for how good he is defensively. And, of course, they're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't. No. Seriously, there's a lot of plays that a lot of guys with limited range couldn't make that he makes that he makes look awfully easy. And you kind of take that for granted. And we had a discussion earlier. Somebody said we should put him at third and put Mershon at short. I think what you do is make both positions worse if you do that. When you have a guy like Lane with the big arm – that can make things happen there in a six hole, you keep him where he is, and you just keep shuffling players over third until you find the right combination. But maybe it's Mershon. And I think the fact that Mershon's a switch hitter and a guy that can bunt makes him a bit of a weapon. And yes, he's had three errors and 13 chances already, but um, he's a freshman. And you know at some point that he's going to grow up. All right, pitching numbers here. Not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but uh, Bradley Lofton currently leads the regular starter for the 2.25 ERA. Batting average against is 148. Future weekend starter and the future may be now. 24 innings pitched, which is tied for the team lead with Landon Gartman. Landon's ERA continues to creep up, though, here as of late. He really struggled last weekend, uh, the second time, third time through the order. He was outstanding the first time through. But uh, you're facing a different brand of hitter in the Southeastern Conference, and you're going to see uh, at Memphis. But teams are only hitting 209 against him. What's got it, kind of got him in trouble here as of late are walks. You know, walks, and we had some hit-by-pitches. But, uh, you know, if we can go out there and pound the zone, that, that changeup is deadly. It's, I just don't think he is special enough, and I mean that with as much love as possible. I don't think his stuff is dynamic enough to get through the order three times. I think you get him through twice, and you turn it over to Nate or to KC, and KC has been better as of late as well. Uh, Gerangelo is tied – with Bradley with a 2.25 ERA. And, of course, uh, Gerangelo, uh, three wins to his credit in, five, in four starts. And you, you begin to think, hey, that if we just didn't have that first inning last weekend, it's a much different conversation today. But that inning counted. It absolutely counted. And uh, Gerangelo's walks, we're talking 2-1 here, 26 Ks to 13 walks, and a lot of those have come early in ball games. But opponents are hitting just 117 against him. But he's also had six hit-by-pitches. And I think sometimes we have kind of romanticized the novelty of Gerangelo. I'm in no way sitting here saying he's not a dominant pitcher and he's going to be outstanding. But the numbers between he and Bradley are not that dissimilar. They're just not. And Gerangelo has had just 60 at-bats against him where Bradley's had 81. Now, granted, we're talking a game difference. But we look at Bradley's walk numbers, which are elevated. Don't get me wrong. They're 24. Geronzo just has a 13. But then you go look at the Ks, 39 for Bradley, 26 for Geronzo. 
And so I say all that to say this. I don't know why we don't just go ahead and move Loss into the weekend. And I think there's a decent chance of that happening this next week. Maybe you don't throw Lofton on Tuesday. Maybe you throw Colby Holcomb on Tuesday and then move Bradley to Sunday. You know, we'll see. I mean, Foxhall and Lamontis have got to figure this thing out. But, you know, who gives you the best chance? And my attitude about that is this. If I got to sit there and watch some guys struggle to find the zone, I'd rather be a freshman. I can explain some of that away, but also, too, I'm investing in their future. I don't want to see a veteran guy with two or three years of experience on a college level under his belt go out there and walk the ballpark. And so if this is what we have to do, I mean, you begin to ask yourself, who are the more talented pitchers? Well, I think if you know, based on what we've seen so far, the guys with the biggest ceiling, Gerangelo, Nate, Bradley, that would be my starting rotation. Cade Smith rounds back into form and gets healthy, then yeah, then he's back in the mix too. And that gives you some options. And, of course, you get Nixon back this week. We need him to go out there and throw strikes. You know, KC appears to be turning in the right direction. But a healthy Pico and a healthy Cade is almost like signing a free agent. Because right now, like, look at Brock Tapper's numbers. I mean, it's ridiculous. Brock Tapper is a freshman. 0.90 ERA. He has a win. He's appeared in six games. Ten innings pitch. He is getting hit a little bit more than you'd like, but that's part of being a freshman. 13 hits and 10 innings. He's allowed one earned run, though. 11 Ks to three walks. That's a guy that you're learning to count on. But you've got to get you got to miss some bats, though. You know, 310 batting average against. That's not good for a reliever. It's not good for anybody. Evan Cieri is a guy that at times has been a little bit up and down, but if nothing else, we know he's going to go out there and throw strikes. 17 Ks against just six walks. And a couple of those came last weekend when he had to get ready in a hurry and go relieve uh, you know, Grandma Eintema. So the bottom line is this. The pieces are there. We just got to put them in the right order. And we need some guys to respond. We need guys to go out there and throw strikes. And again, I look at the KC numbers. You know, KC leaves the starting lineup and sits for a little while. You know, the very first game of the year, of course, was, uh, you know, VMI. And it's, uh, he gives up one hit, but it's five runs. Because of six walks. Has a decent inning of relief against UL Monroe. Gets drilled against Arizona State. Five hits, six runs, three walks, again. But since that time, since he has moved to the bullpen, Lipscomb, one inning pitch, perfect, two Ks. Nichols, two innings pitch, allows two hits and a K. In Kentucky, two innings pitch, one hit, one run, two walks, four Ks. And, of course, the walk comes around and ultimately uh, ties the ball game. So that was a big mess early on. Uh, but maybe that's his role, to be that long to middle reliever. And so who do you pair him up with? I mean, do you, do you go Drangelo tonight, and then maybe he gets you six, and then you hope that maybe KC can get you to Nixon? If you could get through these first couple ball games and not have to throw Nate, I think you start him on Sunday. But the reality of that is, is that uh, if we have a lead late tonight and you need Nate, you got to throw him. You can't conserve anybody. you got to win tonight's game. But uh, eager to see how things progress. But, again, a lot to talk about with college baseball, as always. Our final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I told you guys many times before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. Portico, a great place to live, just 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Very easy to find. You come off 82 on 12, like going to campus. Very first right, Pat Station Road. You go through there, go through the four-way stop. There's Portico right on the right-hand side. 
You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and anything in between. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. He'd give you all the information you need to get going. Whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat, your primary residence, or perhaps your future retirement home, they have a plan for you. Make Portico your next move. Okay, we ride a football yesterday. Uh, it's a very enthusiastic group. I think guys are happy to be back out there. It was a warmer day yesterday, but by the time we got towards the end of, of uh, practice, it was a lot cooler. Now, the advisory they sent to us said we're going to have about 20 minutes to observe. I actually got to stay out there about an hour tomorrow. It was just me and Paul Jones uh, during availability. And we got to get out there and take pictures. And, of course, it was a beautiful day yesterday, a high sky with a bright sun. And so we got some great pictures. I'm very happy and proud to say. But I was impressed. Zach Garnett is uh, unlike any head coach that I've been around. He's very focused with what he's doing. But when he's on the side, maybe addressing a coach or addressing a player, talking to a staffer, there is a different gear there. Like Dan Mullen at times to get out there, and he got so focused on what we were going on, you know, the, um, the bedside manner with the rest of the staff wasn't very good. You know, Leach at times was another guy, too. We get caught up in what he's doing. And, of course, if he saw one of us, he'd come over and say hello and everything. So Leach and Arnett are, are similar in that respect, but you could always tell, uh, always tell that um, Leach knew what was going on. He was always ingrained and excited about what was happening out there. Arnett maybe has a little different energy, and I don't mean that in a criticism of anybody else. I think the reality of it is, is that Zach is a guy that understands you can't run wide open all the time. When Joe was here, they got a lot of work done, but at times it was a little bit laid back, right? It was a little bit maybe not as structured as it should have been. But the way Zach Arnett runs practice, there's not a lot of wasted time. And watching the guys out there running around, uh, doing their individual drills, a ton more individual drills. There were times under Leach we'd get through almost like this regimented thing. We're going to do – all of this individual stuff for a certain period of time, and then we're going to go to team or we're going to go to groups or whatever, you kind of get the sense that we're going to finish these things up when we're ready. When we're satisfied with the level of effort that we've given, then we're going to go to the next thing. And there were some times yesterday I saw some guys going back-to-back reps because of the fact that uh, the coaching staff wasn't satisfied with either the effort or the execution. So they get back out there and they go to work. I wrote a piece this morning, uh, Chad Bumpus. We had a chance to interview Chad yesterday. It's so great to have Chad back. Uh, probably the headline of that and probably the most least surprising news of camp is that Tulu Griffin's a slot receiver. We've all known that. He lined up outside, and a lot of that's because they wanted to get him outside the numbers and let him run. He doesn't track the football especially well in the fade. But I love the fact that we've got him in the slot, which opens up some options. Gives him the chance to work against the middle field, against safeties, get him in some mismatches, work him on a jet sweep, give him some option routes. There's a lot out there with this. I think you're going to see a much better year from Tulu Griffin. As great as he's been, he's been underutilized. And I think this offense, I think Barbe is creative enough in what he does schematically to get the ball in his hands. And that's kind of what Chad mentioned yesterday, whether it be a jet sweep, whether it be um, you know bubbles or whatever, we're going to find a way to get the ball in the hands of our playmakers. And Chad talks championships. You know, this is a guy that's won Pac-12 championships as an assistant coach. We're not just here to make the dadgum Liberty Bowl, right? That's not what we're looking for. All due respect to our friends at the Liberty Bowl. We've had some good experiences there. Had some bad ones too. 
But that should be what we have maybe at the end of a talent cycle. We should be a team that consistently competes for Florida bowl games. And in special circumstances, perhaps a little bit more. We want to get back to a New Year's Six. We've only been to one, right? But I like the fact that Chad's not afraid to speak about that. We're here to win championships. We're going to find the guys that put us in positions to win championships, and we're going to feed them reps. That's what needs to happen. It's like you know, we, t- we talk about setting goals. If your goal is, hey, we just want to go out here and have a winning season, what if you come up a little bit short? Then you're losing season. You know, if, you, if you shoot for the moon and miss, at least you've attempted to do something great. You may end up in Switzerland or something, which isn't half bad. But you understand my point. We can't just have modest goals and expect to achieve greatness. And I respect the fact that Chad is not shying away from that. I think, again, that's kind of a, a microcosm about Zach Arnett's experiences. You know, Zach's like, hey, we believe we can be great. We're a big-time school, too. You heard it last year on signing day. Hey, you beat out some big-time schools. We're a big-time school. It, it's kind of reminiscent of Jackie Sherrill. When Jackie was here, that's what he talked about. He wanted you guys to be proud to kind of poke out your chest and have that bulldog coffee mug at work and you know, kind of tip your cap to your old Miss buddy or whatever. You know, but the reality of it is, is if we don't believe it among ourselves, our players, our coaching staff, how will anybody else? You know, kind of like the uh, old Bigfoot analogy that Mike Leach used to leave, use, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will either. But I love the way this staff talks. And we've only seen a limited amount of practice, but I'll tell you, I like the way they work too. And I like how hands-on we are on coach. Uh, Matt Brock has always impressed me in that respect. There are a lot of people that are just, you know, talk about it. You know, he kind of walks it how he talks it. He'll get out there, he put his hands on guys in a respectful way, in a training way, and say, hey, here's what I want you to do. He'll show hand placement. He'll, show, he'll demonstrate the drill if he has to. So I like what we've seen so far in limited action. We'll be back out there tomorrow. Of course, we'll have full coverage over jeanspage.com. And it's so easy to get caught up in the euphoria of the fact, hey, we had a couple of big you know, seasons of basketball by our recent standards. Baseball is, um, is kind of running along right now, maybe not the way we expected, but uh, it's easy to forget, hey, we're in football too, and it's Zach Arnett's first spring. But he looks incredibly comfortable, incredibly comfortable. And I've had some longtime people that say, you know, Steven, he, he was ready. He was ready. I know some people have mentioned about recruiting and say, oh, they're worried about this, worried about that. Guys, it's March, and the state is loaded with talent. There's no way I'm going to get up in arms. Ole Miss has four commitments. We have two. It's not like we're getting left behind. It's like, and there's some guys out there, too, that have been kind of Ole Miss leans. I mean, Fat Clark, from my own, that's a disappointment. We thought we had a good chance there with him. But it's part of it. And – some of your favorite players are going to go play at Ole Miss, and some of their favorite players are going to go play at Mississippi State. It's just about sharing the state, especially a year when the talent pool is so deep. You're not going to get everybody. The bottom line is you got to make sure you get the right guys to fit your culture and fit what you want to do schematically. That's the measure of true recruiting. It's not always about recruiting rankings. Recruiting rankings matter. Don't get me wrong. I work in the industry. I'm not going to sit here and kind of undersell what we do, but the reality of it is it's about finding the right fit finding the right player that fits what you want to do, and then develop him and get the most out of him. You know, Neil uh, Stopchinski, of course, has been a great addition to our staff at jeanspage.com, doing some great reviews and true evaluations of some of Mississippi State's commitments and targets and uh, getting those twice a week. And Neil, of course, is there to answer your questions. And we've talked at length recently about, you know, some guys that maybe State was high on that other people weren't turn out to be great players. And – he talks about how Mullen really, really 
really emphasize the developmental piece. We are a developmental program. We're going to take guys, we're going to make them better, and hopefully give them a chance to play football beyond a college level. But to those that don't, we'll get their college degree and leave here better men. And that's, that's really the, the true measure of a college football coach, I think, is not just about how many games you win, but how many people that you put in a situation where they can win at life. Not that that's, you know, our mantra here. But uh, you don't want to be a football factory where guys leave here and they're not equipped to go out there and have a real life and advance their family and change their family tree. But I like what we've seen. And, again, we'll be back out there Saturday, and uh, we'll have some more observations on Monday. A lot of people have asked about quarterbacks. I'll tell you, you only have three scholarship quarterbacks uh, on the roster, and none of them are very big, to be quite honest with you. That's one thing I noticed yesterday and having a couple conversations. We're not a really big football team on offense. We're really not. we got some war daddies on defense. we got some big jokers out there on defense. Outside of our offensive line and maybe Woody, we're really not that big. You know, Jay Robb is a guy that's big, but there's a lot of guys out there We've got a ton of those slot receiver types. And so I know Barbet will devise a plan to utilize their speed and quickness to uh, move to football. But we're not a big football team offensively. You know, Will Rogers not a big guy. You know, he's not. Will's not a big guy. Uh, Chris Parson is not a big guy. Mike Wright, not a big guy. And when you, you know, when you got smaller quarterbacks, you better have a bunch of them. And we do. But uh, it's interesting to kind of watch the guys get out there and see them work. But uh, I love what Tony Hughes had to say, you know, about Woody Marks yesterday, about how he's a perfectionist. He wants to do things correctly. He wants to do things the right way. And, and that's the thing. We always talk about what a blessing it is when you're better players or your hardest workers. And it's amazing how that kind of goes hand in hand. I think Woody Marks is going to have a breakout season this year. He has already been a good player in the SEC. And he has given everything he can into a scheme that didn't necessarily fit his skill set. This new offense, nobody benefits more than Woody Marks. And I think at the end of this year, people are going to look back and say, hey, Kevin Barbet and Zach Arnett are geniuses, but it's really going to be about the play of Woody Marks. I think if Woody can stay healthy, I think Woody becomes perhaps your biggest weapon on offense. And it's interesting, too, Tony Hughes, you know, such a great coach and such a great man. I'm eager to see what he does with Woody Marks this year. Of course, it's a big transition for Tony. But I like the pieces that we have. It's now Barbet's responsibility to kind of put these guys together. And I love what I'm hearing from our coaches, and I love what we're seeing in the limited time that we can see uh, practice. I mean, the fact that Tula Griffin's going to the slot, Woody Marks is going to be your featured back, that's enough to get anybody excited, right? And you've got a veteran offensive line with the exception of center position, and Stephen Lasoy and Cole Smith will kind of compete and figure that out. But uh, I'm excited about what I've seen. I'm ready to see them play a scrimmage. I'm ready to see what they're going to do, uh, you know, when it's a real more football-type situation and not just a practice-type situation. All right, that's it for today. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com. You can get all my sports books there. It's Dogpile. Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and Flim Flim. Bloomsville Leander, of course, available through your local bookstore, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com. That's all important. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And as always, come be a member of our community at JeansPage.com. We are the source for Mississippi State sports coverage in the known universe. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.